You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the faith way. Well, we're blessed this morning. How many of you are blessed this morning? Amen. We got to get excited. We got to get excited. Um, So we've got a couple of announcements coming up. Um, As you know, we are nearing our anniversary, again, our church anniversary. It seems like we just celebrated our 25th uh, uh, celebration yesterday or last year, and it wasn't. So this is our 28th anniversary this year in December. So it's coming right around the corner, and we're very excited. We have a lot of special things um, planned um, and this will be taking place on the 4th. So on the 4th is the closing date of our conference. We're going to be having a conference that weekend. Um, we're going to have Pastor Elson um, Bennett and Quincy coming in today. Uh, I'm sorry, on the 2nd, Friday the 2nd, Saturday the 3rd, and Sunday we're closing on the 4th with the celebration. And I really encourage you, you know, if you, can, if you can't make all three, try to make the 4th. The fourth is going to be special. The fourth is going to be powerful. It's going to be impactful, and it has a lot of significance and a lot of meaning as well. Um, And we'd just like for you to join us so that we can celebrate in fellowship as a church family. So we invite you to come the first day, the first kickoff of the uh, church anniversary uh, celebration will be Friday at 7 p.m., and this will be Quincy Goodstar leading the service We will have worship. We will have service. Um, We won't have kids service available, but um, kids are more than welcome to sit here with us. Um, Then on Saturday, we will have, um, Callie's going to be pastoring, or it's going to be a duo. So this is our duo, maybe even a trio all together, but um, Pastor Elson Bennett will be leading Saturday at 7 p.m., and then we'll have special music done by Callie Bennett, and she's just powerful in her worship. It's very rich, and if you haven't been here in one of her services where she leads, you know, this would be a very, very great opportunity for you. She is just filled with the Holy Spirit, and the, the Holy Spirit just becomes tangible. So, And then on Sunday, we will close out at our regular time at 10 a.m. This is a service that we really, really encourage you guys to come to. This is going to be very impactful, very meaningful. We will have a celebration lunch afterwards. Um, It's going to be here in our youth building. So, um, you know, get encouraged, get stirred up. We are going to be doing a couple of fundraisers because we will be catering. Um, We want to have something special and something nice. We don't want to just be simple. We're going to go all out, and we're going to have catering here with us. So if you'd like to join the team, be part of the team, I'd encourage you guys. You know, the team is all of us. We're a church. We're a family, and we just want you to work with us. Um, and then right after that, we are busy church right after that. We have Dr. Dennis Burke coming in on the 18th. Um, this is right before Christmas. Um, 
he will be also bringing all of his merchandise every time he comes. He always has a table with all of his merchandise available for purchase. There's a lot of things that you can purchase and buy and take to fill whatever need that you have. He even brings from Vicky, his wife, um, and some of her things are very, very awesome. If you're not a reader, don't worry. We've got the audiobooks for you too. So there's something for you. So um, we did celebrate the opening last Sunday of our junior high ministry, and today we get to open the doors again, so we're very excited about that. Uh, This is something new, and this is for all of our junior high kids uh, from 6th through 8th, and we have a a class that's designed specifically for you, and I don't know if we still have the flyer up, but it's really fun. After service um, last week, we had to go and drag some kids out of there because they didn't want to leave. Um, because there's basketball hoops and little courts and things like that there too. So um, at this time, kids, you guys are dismissed. We have nursery here in the hallway foyer. Um, Right next door, we have our preschoolers. I'm sorry, two doors away, we have our preschoolers. And the door right in the middle is our elementary kids. So kids, you guys are dismissed. Oh, and I skipped one. Oh, I see it. I skipped one. I'm sorry. Before you get dismissed, kids, you want to hear this too, because you can tell mom and dad to buy you something. We have a bake sale. We're going to have a bake sale on, um, let's see, do we have it out there on Tuesday? This is Tuesday, the 18th. Is the date correct? At 3 p.m. Tuesday at 3 p.m. Usually, ladies' ministry, we ask if you guys would like to donate items. So I'm pretty sure they're collecting. So please get with one of the members from Lady Ministry, from Ms. Araceli or Ms. Miriam, to donate your baked goods. Um, all of this is our fundraiser. Proceeds will be going towards our, um, uh, our celebration, our catering and our celebration. And it's not the 18th. 18th is a Sunday. (laughs) Okay, so get ready. Get your pockets ready. Get your stomachs ready for all those sweets. So kids, you are dismissed. It's the 22nd. The 22nd. Okay, so let's give our little kids a round of applause as they get up and leave. And they get ready to receive that word and get that little seed planted in their heart. And let us all go ahead and get our hearts ready to receive the word and experience life in a new way, the faith way. God. Good morning, everyone. Why does everybody want to sit in the back? You guys scared of getting your face or I spit too much or, you know, Pastor gets excited and he spits too over us. Anyway, it's good to see everyone this morning and a lot I can share about what's going on in Cuba, but the biggest thing that's happened in Cuba is that doors were open that the religious spirit tried to close in 2014. (laughs) That, you know, we kept plowing and plowing, and, and now, you know, there's so many people open, and, and, and Cuba's in such a desperate situation. So everything that you guys are doing, everything that, you know, Faith Exchange up in New York, we're partnered up, you know, we're, we're not part, we're just team doing this thing in Cuba. And there's just a lot of stuff going on. I wanna, I'll, I'll share some of those things towards the end of the service, but, um, you know, keep that, keep that, that's a big part of what we do, you know. And, you know, you might see a handful of people here, but, you know, a few weeks ago we had over 500 people. And Faithway was represented in that convention in, in Santa Clara. So I'm excited about what's going on in Cuba. I'm excited. I really believe, I wanted to say this, you know, right at the get-go, I really believe that the best years of this church are right in front of them, you know, as far as influence and what God has called us to do, not only here locally, but um, internationally. And um, as you guys know, our involvement in Ukraine kind of got stopped with the war thing, but, you know, we're still very connected with all our friends over there and in Ukraine, and all the work that, you know, the years that we've worked, built relationships over there, Cuba, 
course, Elson is going to be here. Those of you who don't know him, he's, you know, pastors on the Navajo Nation. And if you guys want to get a taste of Cuba without going to Cuba, go to the reservation. Like, like, go to the reservation. Don't just go touristing, you know, the Grand Canyon. Go and be with the people and find out how it works. And it's an absolute mess the way, you know, the government has handled, you know, the First Nations people. And it's actually an embarrassment. And um, it's so socialistic, it's insane. So if you want to see what socialism in America goes, you know, next time we do a meeting in August or whenever we go, just go there and find out. So anyhow, um, my brother Elson will be here and Quincy. And Quincy's never been here, so you all treat him nice. He's from the Lakota tribe up in North Dakota, and he's a man of God, and God just given him a, you know, such a good message on grace. You know, that's, that's where he hovers around, but he has such an insight. So you guys are going to get a lot, and I want you to invite people. You know, I'm giving the whole weekend to them. Our participation will just be announcements and praise and worship or something like that. I, you know, they called me, talked to both of them this week, and I said, no, it's all yours. And, you know, when you bring First Nations people, they have a completely different perspective. You know, you just got to understand that. It's, um, if you haven't experienced that, you know, when you bring Native American people that have met Jesus, and what's really cool about Elson and Quincy is that they are, you know, what happened, let me give you a little history, so... Any, any way you see it, it, they get hit, you know. So when the white Christians came to the Native American people, they made them cut their hair, made them change their name. Most of you probably don't know this, but the Native American people were the only people that were prohibited by the government to dance. How about that one? They were the only ones that were prohibited to dance, and they're the only ones that have a bureau, Bureau of Indian Affairs, and it's all politicized and it's all corrupt, and I could go on and on. That's not the point. But what I'm saying is, you know, we honor and, you know, I've been involved with Elson and, and his family, and we're, we're family, and it's just amazing what he does. And one, one of the things I love about it is that they found Jesus within their culture, meaning one of the things that Elson brought back to worship, and he brought it in the context of, of Christianity, was the drum. You know, the drum was taken away from them because, it's, you know, it symbolized, I'm talking about the church now, you know. The church said, you can't have your drums, you can't have this, you've got to praise like this, you've got to look like this, you've got to talk like this, and you've got to worship the Viking Jesus, right? Whatever. But, um, but they brought it back and say, no, we've met Jesus, and he doesn't take away our culture. So when you go to those services, you know, they have the native drums, they have the flutes, they have everything. I've been to Elson even at a powwow, and he represents Christ with his regalia. I mean, I could just go on about how amazing this is. So I'm, Telling you guys, get excited about it. Not only that they're coming, that we're also celebrating 28 years. Amazing, you know. The average lifespan of a church in America is seven years, so we've beat that four times over. Glory to God, right? The average lifespan of a pastor is like three, so I've survived that one a whole lot. So glory to God, amen. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew, and let's get back into where we are in this series. You know, I, I started this series before I went to Cuba, and then, um, you know, last week we, I dealt with one point that, that kind of introduced this, and I took a different direction, but I want to come back to the, what we know as the Beatitudes, and I want to give you, before I read it, I want to give you some, you know, some interesting points about this. If you want to go back to the next slide and then bring it back to that one, RJ, so I just get those bullet points real quick. So, um, when you think about this message, this is, first of all, it's the first sermon of Jesus. Very first one. So, you know, first of anything sets a standard. And it's the longest message. I mean, he, you know, he took time with this. And some things that you find in, in this 
teaching, and you wonder why it was at the front end of his ministry, you know, his earthly ministry, Jesus unveils the foundations of character and life in the kingdom. So the very first thing he says, hey, this is what life looks like on earth, and this is what the influence of the kingdom looks like on people that are navigating through this life. And, 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 you know, all of us know that life comes with a lot of, you know, comes with joy, comes with a lot of hurt, comes with a lot of uncertainty, questions, and so forth. So, he, you know, so he deals with that, and it also brings the ethical guidelines for life in his kingdom. And we talked a lot about this last week, so I'm not going to touch that point. But, you know, he also talks about the, the need to be salt. And I explained last week, you know, that salt, you know, nowadays you don't want salt because it raises your blood pressure. But back, back in the day, it was very valuable. You know, um, for those of you that weren't here, you know, when Jesus says you need to be salt, you've got to think about the, the historical context of that because... Roman soldiers, part of their salary was in salt. That's where you get the word salary. Interesting, right? Salt salary. So, so it had a lot of value. And when Jesus refers to as a salt, I'm just kind of you know, ending last week's sermon. Um, he refers to, hey, you guys have value. You have this, this thing that, that, you know, and back then salt was used to cure. Um, you know, back then there wasn't really antibiotics. So if you got cut, you know, you could potentially die. So usually, you know, in their first aid kit, they would carry salt. They would carry vinegar. They would carry oil. That was their first aid kit. So salt had, you know, was used to cure people. Salt was used to preserve meat. You couldn't, so every, every representation, I didn't really dig into all that. Maybe later on we'll do. But when you leave this building, you know, that's, what, that's the expectation of Jesus. You know, we're here to heal. We're here to cure. We're here to, to extend life, you know, to preserve things. That's what salt did. And it's something valuable. So, you know, Jesus really talked about this. So I know we, we took a big U-turn last week. So I kind of want to bring it back into this. So let's go ahead and back to Matthew 5. I just want to introduce some of these points. And listen to it because, like I said, if this is his first message, and really he deals about things with life. So we're going to you see how far, you know, as the clock lets us, we're going to start breaking some of these points down. And again, find the application for your life. You know, find where this connects to your life and, you know, the things that you're dealing with. So Matthew 5, verse 1 through 16 reads this way. Well, starting verse 3. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked a lot about that last week. And this is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you... When, when people insult you, persecute you, and fault you, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then verse 12, he finishes by saying, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's, you know, let's keep breaking this down, because first of all, we have to have a clear understanding of what the word blessed is. You know, what does that, you know, if you read the Amplified Bible, if you have an Amplified, or if you have the U version, you know, or you have all the versions you'll find that one of the, the words that it says is happy and to be envied, which is an interesting translation. Happy and to be envied. Um, but not envied in a bad way, not like envy, like, you know, sin envy, but, you know, happy to be desired. That does, you know, and some people have gone with, you know, Old Testament definition of the word blessing is empowered to prosper. And, again, the word prosper is not money. It's, you know, peace primarily peace, which includes everything, you know, your natural, your emotional realm, and your spiritual realm. So it is very important that you understand what he was saying, because when he said blessed, 
you know, there's, there's a school or a school or a line of thought that, you know, people get on and, and say, well, you know, you know, we sing songs about the blessing, beautiful song that's out there. But, you know, the blessing has been preached, and again, I'm not going to correct anybody, that's not my job, but it has been preached maybe not deep enough, and there's a very shallow understanding of what the blessing is. So there's, you know, if certain people in certain camps will, will begin to say, well, you know, the blessing, you know, God will bless you, and he's going to make you rich, and you're never going to have any problems, and get the blessing on you. The problem with that is that when you do go through life that is full of trouble, the other thing is, well, am I not blessed? So now you've got condemnation coming in. And that's actually a thing that was big in Cuba um, because of people that are called the Apostolic Church, which what they thought we were, that was one of the, you know, the, the blowbacks we had from the church, is because they, those people would preach, and they preached you know, this in Cuba, and, and for some reason they associated us with us because I've never, ever, in almost you know, 30 years of ministry, ever preached anything like that, to say, well, you know, if you're sick or if you're broke, or if you're just going through a bad time, then you're not blessed. Maybe you're doing something wrong. And well, that, that's complete condemnation and complete garbage. Because it's, you know, once again, Jesus brings this message at the very forefront of his ministry. So you have to pay a lot of attention. And too many times it's been preached, and I've heard it preached, and maybe I've even preached it very super, superficial. You know, like, okay, we're blessed, 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 blessed. But once you really dig into what he was talking about, he was really setting everything and this is really interesting, every, every major topic that Jesus deals with in the New Testament, every one is mentioned here. I mean, he, from here it goes on and he expounds. But he deals with every one of this. And not only in, in the Gospels, into the, the ministry of Paul, you find the same thing. You know, they're dealing, so really Jesus set the, you know, the basic foundations of everything that his ministry was about. Then you, you, know, you, you look at everything about you know, the full context of this, and you can compare it to Isaiah. Don't go there. You can compare it to Isaiah 60, you know, and then, of course, Luke chapter 4. And it's all just, you know, bouncing off of this, you know, the anointing on Jesus. And what he is saying here is basically the same thing. So, so let's spend some time this morning and, and dig into it. And as I always teach you guys, always look for the application. You know, if you walk out of this building and there's not a real-life application, you might have got a good sermon, you got a good Bible story, learned a little bit of Bible history. But you go back to your world with the same anxiety, the same fears, the same worries, the same concerns. And it's really sad because, you know, sometimes we act like, you know, we come to church and we celebrate God. But as soon as we get in our car, we act like he just stayed in church. And we, and, and we try to navigate through life and try to figure this whole thing out on our own. And it can get really difficult. So let's look at what he was referring to. So I want you... Um, Let's, let's deal with the, um, the definition. I, I already told it to you. I'm going to skip a few slides, RJ. So the, the blessed, if you go back to that side, blessed is a pledge of divine reward. Now, this is the best definition I came up with. Is a pledge of divine reward for inner spiritual character of righteousness. Now, there's a lot of words there, and I'll expound in a moment. In other ways, it's his description of the spiritual attitude and state of people who are right with God. In other words, the, the blessing is not just, yes, God puts the bl- When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he doesn't come without the blessing. Are you here this morning? You know, I mean, you, you know, it's like people say, you know, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the, the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, and speaking in tongues and all these things. I, you know, that's Bible. I believe it. It's true. I've experienced it. It's, it's awesome. But there's people who say, well, unless you have that, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not true because you can't be saved unless you have the Holy Spirit. 
So, you know, Jesus, Holy Spirit, the blessing, it's just one package. So when you finally break down and say, Lord, I need you in my life, and you say, here I am, he comes with all of it. <laughs> he doesn't like, okay, work 10 years, then I'll give you the blessing. Work another 10 years, then I'll give you my holy. No, he comes and resides with you, but it's up to you how much that will grow or how much it will diminish. You know, spiritual, spiritual life is, is, is important as natural life, and that's where a lot of people don't, don't realize it, you know, that what you, this time you spend here, and I know, you know, for South Texas, we hit 40 degrees, and we're like hunkered down and, you know, get the snow plow out and all that. And I'm surprised anybody showed up to church. So God bless you because you, you fought the cold weather, you know. Went up there in Buffalo, they got like 10 feet of snow, whatever. But, you know, here's my point. When you finally see how vital this is to your daily walk, you would not miss any service. And, I mean, if you're not here, you're online, right? I mean, you're just like, this is, you know, because every week, if you notice, it's connected. We don't just like, oh, I preach this. And then, I mean, I was gone two weeks and I came back and I'm still preaching what I, because that's what I believe the Lord told me to talk about. And we've been on this for months, actually, not just weeks. You know, what is real life? This series actually started with that scripture in John 10, which said, in this world, you remember that one? In this world, you will have tribulation. And everybody's like, oh, I don't want to hear that. Well, actually, he started, he said, I tell you this so you can have joy. Imagine if you just ran into somebody and said, hey, but I want to tell you something to get you really excited. What? Your house is burning down. Really? That doesn't work. Well, that's almost what Jesus says. He says, these things I tell you so you can have peace. Okay, Lord, fill me with peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Uh-uh. I don't want to hear that. You know, I want peace. Tell me I want a million dollars. Maybe that will bring me peace. No, he said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But then, he, you know, he didn't stop there. He said, but do not fear. I have overcome the world. So this whole series has been how do we take the principles that Jesus taught, the life lessons it teaches, and put them into real-life application. So when you come into the Beatitudes or the blessings, however you want to call it, that is really what he's trying to build. He's saying, okay, this is what life is with the blessing. This is what life is for somebody that's life has been influenced by God. So if you want another definition, I'm working hard on this definition because you need to walk out with a working understanding of what the blessing is. It is really how do I transfer spiritual concepts or spiritual spirituality or spiritual life into every day. That really is. So at the end of the day, if, if the Christians, and don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, not in a we're better than you way, that's horrible, but if the Christians and the world kind of go through, you know, we, we all go with the, through the same stuff. You know, just because you give to life to Jesus, that doesn't mean you're not going to deal with life. What you're going to find out is that the spiritual influence of Christ, not the spiritual influence of a pastor or a church, the spiritual influence of Christ is going to help you navigate through those things. In other words, when you are in a place where you are hopeless, where you get the horrible doctor's report or you have a bad situation at home, the world doesn't have anywhere to grab onto. They'll grab onto psychiatrists and psychologists and doctors and pills and meds and whatever it takes to fix the situation. And, you know, the sad part is that, you know, not just, you know, Christians, millions of Christians, you know, America, because I, you know, that's, I deal with a lot of them. They have, we have a version, I already heard this, but I, I can't let go of it, so we have the version of Christ in the church, and then we have a version of Christ at home. And that shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a difference. You are here to learn some principles, that's all, you know, this is basically, this is school. <laughs> you're getting, you're getting your, you know, your, the fellowship, we get to hang out, you know, all these stuff that we do, these celebrations, all these preachers that we bring, all the stuff that we do is, has one, one, one purpose only, to help us build spiritually. 
Now, it's your, I can't, you know, I'm not going to build your natural life. That's up to you, your job, how you handle your family and so forth. But the more you, you structure your life, again, this is not about being perfect. It's not even, you know, we already talked a lot about holiness and all these things. But it does have to do, say, look, in this situation, real life, this is what Jesus said, right? And the more you practice it, it almost becomes like breathing. You don't really think about it. You know, you don't really, you know, we, we go through things. And, gosh, we've gone through all kinds of stuff, you know. Even, you know, I get a text at 3 in the morning. My granddaughter's, you know, got fever, and we, had a, we took her, well, we went with them to the Disney on ice. We had a great time. Got sick, and, you know, my daughter just got the baby just got sick. You know, we deal with life. You know, that's real life, stuff that you guys deal with. You know, your kids get sick, and you've got to figure it out. But, you know, why does my daughter text me at 3 in the morning? Because she knows that I'm going to pray. Now, she's going to take care of whatever she needs to and the medicine and, you know, cool the baby down. But she's going to that place of spirit. And not only does she recognize me as her dad, because, of course, oh, thank God she recognizes me as her dad, but she recognizes me as spiritual authority, you know? And that is important because, you know, she's a spiritual person and she can pray, but, you know, but she knows I need to get hold of my dad because once we get in agreement, and you see, that's the difference. I'm, I'm, I'm playing the scenario because you guys, oh, pastor doesn't deal with it. Really? How much time do you have? <laughs> we deal with all of it and, and then some. You know, she knows the spiritual connection is as important as the medical connection. You got that? We don't eliminate the medical connection. I've never, I've never preached that in my life. You know, I said, pray for your medicine. Pray for your doctors. Pray, pray that God tells you the right doctor, too, because sometimes you guys get the wrong doctor, all right? But you keep everything. My point is you keep everything in spirit. That's it. We're dealing with natural life? Okay, what is, you know, let, let's, you know, let's get an agreement here first, and then we'll figure this thing out, because God will give you insights. And I, I, maybe somebody needs to hear all this, because I'm not even in the message yet. It will give you insights on how to resolve stuff. And that is what spirituality is. And that's what I've been trying to teach for the last three months. You know that, that what we learn here has to translate in some form. And Jesus, first message, first message, boom, right off the top, he deals with life. All right? So, he t- you know, the first one off the bat, he deals with poverty. We talked about that. And we talked about, you know, he deals with the three levels of poverty. He talks about poor in spirit. Not as, you know, it's a bad and a good thing. You know, poor in spirit is just, I need God. Remember that. That's what he deals, you know. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Meaning, blessed are those that recognize that their, that their spirit is missing something. That's all it means. But once you break that word poor down, you know, we did that all last week. We spent an hour on that. I'm not going to do that. You find out it includes emotional. It includes physical. It includes a lot of things. But here specifically, he says, there is a blessing. There is an empowerment on you when you recognize that you will never be prosperous in this area, meaning that you're always lacking, always needing. Amen? Because spiritual life has to be a daily exercise. Say amen. If it's a Sunday exercise, you got Sunday covered. But then you got to deal with devils from Monday to Saturday. Right? And that's what we do. Like, oh, thank God, Jesus, you know, Sunday was awesome. And then Monday comes, right? Well, you do the same thing. You start your day in prayer. You, you connect spiritually. You know, you, you acknowledge God's presence, like, you know, and then you get your day going. Amen? You know, and whatever that day comes, it can be some good and some bad and some ugly, whatever it is, you already know that God has granted you within the blessing whatever you need to navigate through that day. 
and not just crumple up and die and get, you know, lock yourself in a room because you're all depressed. So that is really what he's dealing with. So he says, blessed, and, and I actually, I, I forgot to expound a little bit. So Amplified says, happy and to be envied. You know, they kind of expound the word blessing. Old Testament says, empowered to prosper. But here, you know, it is the presence. If you want to choose the presence on somebody that acknowledges they need God. Okay, so we talked about that. Let's go to the next one because this is really interesting. So then he says, blessed are those, in other words, those, keep that little word happy because, and I don't want to think happy like, you know, silly happy because there's no, you know, there's no 100% happiness. Happiness is just like everything else, you know. Something makes you laugh, you're happy for a second, and then you remember how miserable your life is and you're not happy, right? I mean, it's like, so that's not what happiness means. It means, it really means it's more of a peace, and if you want to expand that one, it's peace that passes understanding. In other words, God has created peace even though your circumstances tell you that it's a mess. And, some, and, and if you can keep the peace, then you're going to be able to navigate through the circumstances. So once you get the idea of blessed, he says, blessed are those who mourn. So, you know, what, what does the word, let me go back to my notes here. So blessed are those who mourn. And in this one, you know, what is he referring to? Well, he is referring to exactly what he's saying. He's, he's referring to, for those who mourn of anything. In other words, the, the times of sadness of life, the times, you know, let me just read it. As people face the sadness of life, they can do so with hope. You know, that's where the blessing comes in. You know, I don't know if everyone here, but I have experienced a lot of, you know, personal loss in my life. You know, mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, best friends, you know, a lot of people, they just keep moving to heaven. And through that process, we mourn, right? We have sad things or, or something doesn't go your way or, you, you know, you, you went through a, a relationship and it just, you know, crashed and burned. All those things cause sadness, cause, you know, heartache or cause heaviness. Can somebody relate to that this morning? And you say, you know, where are you, God, sometimes, you know, in this situation? But he said, blessed are those, in other words, empowered to prosper. You get it now? Happy is he. And one to be envied, even though you mourn. Okay, let's, let's back that one up. What's the difference? You see, because that's a life issue. I mean, there's not one person in this world that hasn't dealt with this. Amen. I mean, maybe a baby, <laughs> a toddler. But, you know, at a certain age, people deal with mourning, you know. You know, when I was a very young kid, I must have been seven or eight, I remember my mom bought me a beautiful little boxer puppy. And it was a, what do you call him, like? Brindle, so, you know, like Tiger Stripe. And I loved that dog, and I was, you know, he was a, like my best friend. And long story short, anyway, he got run over, like in front of me, by some guy that was drunk uh, in our neighborhood. He wasn't even driving fast. Um, and, um, you know, at that age, you deal with mourning. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what, so, so, you know, you can say kids deal with stuff, with situations where there's loss. Well, here's the difference, you know, because blessed are those who mourn. So, like, Lord, how can I, you know, how can I be happy during this tragic season of my life? How can I be happy through this loss of, you know, family member? How can I be happy through this, you know, I, I put everything into this relationship, and now it's, it's, it's nothing there. You know, I, I gave 20 years, and he just walked out on me. I mean, we could go through all kinds of life scenarios that are very hard on people. He said, because whatever you're going through, and here's where it starts getting interesting, there is an aspect of the blessing that is specific for that. Are you still here this morning? You guys are, look so sleepy. Come on. Say amen. They're specific for that. So, you know, and I, just, I can just share personal stories. I can't really share anybody else's story. But, 
you know, in 2001, when my mom passed away, you know, and I, you know, I thought it was a little untimely, whatever. She was a woman of God, and, you know, everybody prayed for her, and some of you were even part of that. And um, it was, you know, and we went through all that. <laughs> you remember, there was some, you got to love some of the Hebronville people. There's just some mean people in this town, not you guys. But back then, you know, back that's 2001, of course, you know, our church was, was doing a lot, still does a lot, but, you know, and they were like, oh, look at the pastor. They believe in healing, and his mom died. That's pretty brutal, right? But that's, that's some of the feedback that we got. But, you know, whatever. But I went to the Lord. You guys have heard this story, but maybe you're dealing with this, and it'll help you. Maybe you haven't heard this story. And I went to the Lord and I'm, because, you know, we believe God heals. Are you here? Y'all stop believing God heals? I mean, the anointing is for healing. The, you know, does everybody get healed? No. Does, does God heal everyone? I assume he does. Did everyone get healed? No. Those, that's true life. Are you here? I've seen miracles where people get healed. But then I see situations like my mom that didn't get healed. And she was a godly woman. I mean, there's no question there. You know, her whole life was dedicated to God. And, you know, she was a teacher and all these things. So after she passed away, I went, you know, of course, my dad was still alive back then. You know, I went to the Lord. And, I'll, and, and you know, there's different things that the Lord revealed to me later that I kind of already knew. But, you know, wanna, I'll just throw this, this, this one here if you have a lot of questions about this. You're, you can't pray for somebody's healing when somebody's made their mind to go to heaven. Just letting you know, you can't pray over somebody's will. I'm just saying, you know, so part of that was going on with my mom. Because before that, you could hear her say a lot. She was speaking the things that are not as though they are, because, you know, the principles of faith still work. So she, in her heart, she just wanted to go to heaven. So you could, you could have brought every healing evangelists in the world and laid hands on her, but it's not going to break her will. Because even if she got healed, but her will is to go to heaven, then she would have just gone in her sleep. You know, my grandmother, when she, and another woman of God, I, you know, I was surrounded with a lot of people of God in my life, but my grandma, when she died, she, she was probably pushing 90, she was perfectly healthy. And my mom went, she, they lived in Mexico City, and, and my mom went from her apartment on the eighth floor, like she would do every time, and she would go visit my grandma, and, she, and I wasn't there. I was working in Michoacan. And, but she called me that my grandma had passed away. And she, basically, she went. That she, she prepared, you know, they had dinner or supper. You got everything. And she had a lady that helped her that stayed there. And everyone went to bed. And my mom went back upstairs. Well, she, when she came down in the morning to check on, on my grandma, my grandma was, you know, dead, but with a big old smile on her face. <laughs> she said, she, you know, back then there weren't cell phones and all that stuff. But she said, she told me, Mijito, if you could have just seen her face. Perfectly healthy. I mean, there wasn't one thing wrong with her. But you know what? She decided to go to heaven. That's how people should go to heaven, right? You know that, you know, she's, when she went to heaven, a big old smile on her face because, you know, she shot Jesus, and that was the last thing she had. But she was perfectly healthy. So, you know, we, we, those are the kind of things that, you know, you see. But in the case of my mom, you know, she, she did go through this. And I want to finish this story because this is what this is about. So in my time of mourning, in my time of grief, in my time of trying to figure this thing out, and it was soon thereafter, it wasn't a long a lot of days, maybe five days after we buried her. Um, I went to the Lord, you know, and, and, you know, my mourning was private. You know, my crying, my grief was private. I never, I mean, we buried her on Tuesday, and we had church Wednesday night. Because back then we were having full service Wednesday night, you know, full band, everything was big here. And I was still here, and I was still the cheerleader, and I was still preaching like if nothing happened because of the things that God dealt with me. So let's back up a little bit. 
So we come back to that, and I say, Lord, why didn't you get healed? And then the Lord answered me with another question, which was wonderful, and it just set me free, and it still sets me free, and I preach this all over the world. She, he said, by the Spirit, I received this. He said, is she healed now? That's all I got. But you know what? That's all I needed. Blessed are those who mourn. You see, somebody that's connected gets that kind of information. That instantly, yes, my flesh, my natural man, I mean, I, not too long ago, I was cleaning the shed, and I was going through boxes and stuff, and I found stuff of my mom, and I saw a picture, and I just thinking about it, and if you think about it long enough, you get all emotional, right? So, you know, I still miss her dearly, but it healed me of mourning, because there's a difference between mourning and grief. Mourning is normal. Mourning, you know, something, and mourning doesn't mean something's dead. You know, you could mourn a lot of things. You know, you're, you know, you had a good job and you got laid off. That could cause mourning in your life. I mean, mourning is a, is a time of confusion, of sadness, of questions, okay? Why this, why that? Now, you could spend all day, why God, why, you know, my mom, or I could go to him and say, and get the little simple answer, is she healed now? Because that, to me, made everything really, actually, I learned a lot of Bible theology by that statement. I mean, I, you know, you know it, but it meant something because I realized, never in my life had I realized, and, you know, back then, 2001, we were already probably like seven years in the ministry, but never had I realized that you have to see things from God's perspective. Because, you see, here we see, like, death is over, right? Oh, we lost him. We lost her. She's gone. She's done. We're going to cry and cry and cry and be just really miserable about this person leaving. The reason you're miserable is not because of the person leaving. Really, you're miserable because you really don't know what's on the other side. Amen. (laughs) Because somebody that has heaven on their mind, you know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says God has set eternity in the heart of man. So everybody on this planet, even the atheists, even the people that say there's nothing after death, there's a little worm that bugs them inside all the time. They're never going to get rid of that little worm, which is called there is eternity. This is not it. And from God's perspective, when he said, is she healed now? I saw it so clear. I said, well, thank you, Lord, because this little sliver of life, even if you live what the Bible says 120, because that's, you know, that's what the Bible says in the Old Testament you can believe God for. Even if you live to 120, it is nothing. I mean, you can't even compare it to eternity because this has a time limit, right? 120 years. Eternity doesn't. Eternity has no beginning and no end. I'm not trying to bore you with this, but the more you understand what he said, he said, blessed are those who mourn, means that when you go through these life situations that are devastating, when you go through life situations that just rip you to pieces, there is the blessing for it. And there is a blessing to help you navigate through that. And yes, you might go be sad, you might go through some kind of depression and all these kind of things, but you are blessed even in the times of mourning. Are you here? Amen? And those are, to me, is wonderful because once that happened, it resolved a lot of things. You know, five years later, my dad went home. And, but I'm already, you know, I already get, what you, what he, I didn't need to ask any questions because I already got the answer about what happened to him. And as we went through life and, and you know, during COVID, we saw, you know, even in this church, young people. That, to me, is just, ugh, you know, because older people, we've lived our life, but young people, there's just something about that, right? But even in those situations that are so complicated and we have so many questions that why did he die? Why did he go? You know, blessed are those who mourn. And you say, Pastor, but it's so conflict. You know, it's such a conflict to say 
how can I be happy in mourning? You're happy in mourning because you know the end. In other words, yes, I'm sad I miss them, but, you know, the world, when they lose a loved one, and trust me, I've done, you know, 30 years, we've done tons of funerals, and I've been to funerals that weren't done by us, you know, that I just had, like, a little part, or maybe somebody that I knew passed away and I was supposed to be there, and it always amazed me. Some of you will, you know, you can testify to this, and if you've been to our funerals, there's peace, right? You remember Nora back in the day when, when your mom and <laughs> we had a double funeral? That was, that was years and years ago. That was when we first started. And, you, and that, to me, was very complicated because we had two caskets. But you know what? T- tell me if I'm wrong, Lord. I mean, the, the presence of God, you know, the glory of God because there were two women that loved Jesus. You know, there was no mourning in the building. There was a presence of peace. Well, I've been to other funerals, and I was in one, Monica, remember, I was in one. <laughs> there was a lady that used to come to our church. I don't spend a lot of time, but I know somebody will get something out of this whole conversation. And we went over there, and we were just supposed to say a little thing, because I really didn't know the, the, the guy had died, and, you know, one of her sons. And it was very sad, but he'd never gone to our church. And she, by, by that time, she wasn't even going to our church, because we had come to Heavenville, and they had moved to Laredo, whatever. But I went to this funeral. And it was so different from our funerals because there was crying and moaning. And right at, towards the end, the mother rushed the casket, like, to pull the body out. It's, it, I mean, it, would, it kept getting weirder and weirder, you know. And it was like people rushing her, and she's sobbing and screaming and carrying on. I'm like, that is not that. You get me? That's grief. That's different than mourning. Grief is a desperation. In other words, you are so, I mean, you have lost this. Now, when I say it can be a job, it can be a person, it can be anything. But you've lost it, and the sense of loss is so great, meaning there's no way you'll ever recover it. That is grief. And you've seen people that, especially in those situations, like I, you know, I always say that you know, a, a, a child should never go before their parents. But if it does happen, and it happens within the Christian context, as hard as that is for the parent, that parent knows that that child is in his future. You got me? So you can mourn the child, but you don't have to go into grief. Because grief is a dark place. And, and you probably know people that you know, lost a loved one, and three years later, you see this a lot in Mexico, three years later, they're still wearing black. They're still carrying, you know, they're still carrying the grief and you're like, well, when did your husband pass away? Well, he passed away five years. So why are you still grieving? So grief is more like a spirit. So you've got to be careful. You know, Jesus made these things. I'm spending a lot of time, but this is a big one because all the, the, the foundation that he sets in Matthew 5 is what we're going to deal with life. So as a believer, you know, you know that when, morning, when you lose something, even a job, you, know, you, 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 you put all your effort. Let's, let's, let's take it off the death thing. Let's go. Can you mourn a job? Can you grieve? Yes, you know, you spend your career, you study, you get this great job, and for whatever reason, you know, you get fired, you lose it all. You're going to go into a season of mourning. Or you could even go into a season of grief. Grief is like, oh, my world is over. Mourning is like, oh, this is not good, but then something else, I'm blessed. Because that job's not my source. You get it? You see, that blessing, anytime mourning comes of whatever flavor you want, God made something that it's up to you to dig in. It's up to you to spend that time like I did to say, okay, Lord, I got some questions. And he will answer your questions. So 
I don't want to spend a lot of time, but he is dealing specifically with that because he said, blessed are those who mourn. In other words, the blessing are on the morning, they will find comfort. And when, I, and when the Lord spoke that into my life, it just sealed so many things. And throughout the years, as, as other people in our family moved forward, and including my dad, it just it wasn't even an issue anymore. I realized I had to do my part. I pray for people. I believe for their healing. That's my part. Amen? That's our job. Lay hands on the sick. They will recover. If they get healed or not, that's not your business. Come on, church. You can get a lot of condemnation on this one. So once you settle this, you know, no, blessed are those who mourn. So whatever life brings, I will be blessed even in, in places where the world says, how can you have peace when you've gone through such a devastating loss? And then you say, well, because my peace... We've learned this last week, right, or two weeks ago, passes understanding. My peace is I really didn't lose nothing. In other words, I miss my family as somebody that took a journey. I don't miss them as final and over. I don't do that. That's what that means. All right, let's go to the next one. Blessed are the meek. This is, this is a really good one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I'll just go off some of my, my notes. So the Old Testament, there's, there's a promise. I don't want to, well, let, let, me, let me bring it up because I didn't put the scripture there. Let me just bounce it off the book of Psalms. You don't have to go there if you don't want to, but if you want to write it down, Psalm 37, 11, there's a mention. So, so Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So we're going to, you know, what is he talking? Who are the meek? So let's, let me just read Psalm 37, 11, and then we'll, we'll go into the scripture. It says, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now, what I want you to remember, Jesus is not just coming up with a lot of this stuff. He is a rabbi. He's a scholar of the word. And he's going back into these teachings from Isaiah and from David. And he's bringing them into his own teaching. So he, this is where he gets the reference. Now, he doesn't, the reason I brought it up is because this is the complete reference. That this is what Jesus is referencing to. This was written before he preached this. The meek will inherit the earth. That's what Jesus said. But the second part is really interesting. And shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And there's another one, blessing for peace. So let's talk about this, this one. So that this Beatitudes is, is the promise of 3711. The meek shall possess the land. If you study the passage, you will see that it's also a messianic psalm. The promise of the land certainly was the promised land. So when, you know, he was promising these things. Now, the meaning in the Bible of the meek are those who have the spirit, pay attention, of gentleness and self-control and are free from malice and a condescending spirit. The meek, like the poor, may, may not have no resources of their own, but they may, for Moses was described as being meek and humble. You know, one of the characteristics of Moses, it actually it says there was not one man on the earth as meek and humble as Moses. So let's, let's, let's deal with that one. You know, what is this blessing? You know, what is meekness? Meekness is not weakness. Write that down. Because, you know, there's this idea that Christians just, you know, you just got to put up with everything. And, you know, you, know, you got to be meek. You got to be humble. Yes, I believe in humility. But meekness is really more about this idea of self-control. Christians, and trust me, I've, I've been working on this Lately, meaning the last probably five years of my life, because I was seeing things in my character. Some of you that have been with me a long time say, yep, we, we know you're right, Pastor. You know that I would get very upset, very, uh, you know, lose control over situations, you know, in, in my head. Um, you know, somebody cuts you off and, you know, you forget you're born again and all that. Uh, so the Lord really dealt with me about self-control. 
And, you know, self-control emotionally. You guys ready for some of these? Probably not. Self-control, let me talk to the millennials. Self-control financially. Okay, don't mess with my money, pastor. Well, if I mess with it, you might have some more. You've got to have self-control. You've got to have self-control in relationships. You have to, you have, to have self-control in conflict resolution. Amen? You have to have self-control with your kids. I mean, when you're on your last straw with those kids, you know, there used to be a joke in Mexico. There, there, there was a campaign. I guess Mexicans hit their kids a lot. So growing up in Mexico, there was a campaign. Most of you understand Spanish. <laughs> so it was out there. and they would, they would throw it on TV and on the radio. So it's like, you know, if you're angry at your kid, you know, just count to ten. And you'll feel much better. And they, they just throw it. So, of course, Mexican comedians came out and said, you know, if your kid makes you mad, just count to ten. Y después de que cuentas a diez, le rompes toda. Anyway, that was a joke. You guys can finish it. <laughs> Had to do with the mom. Anyway. And that, that's hilarious, right? But, but meekness is not just humility. There's a, there's a side of humility, and there is nothing that I can, that rubs me the wrong way within Christian people than arrogance. Let me help you within preachers. When I, when I rub, rub I, I just, they, just arrogant preachers rub me wrong. And that's between them and the Lord, or preachers that are untouchable, or, you know, they're just so big or whatever, you know, that you can't even get close to them. What are, you know, I, I understand there's security issues and all that, but you know what I mean. Jesus was meek. Jesus, you know, they kicked him out of the church. He didn't go home to cry to Mary and say, Mama, they kicked me out of the church. He said, y'all don't want me? And he goes right into the gutter of society. Isn't that cool? He goes, he goes and starts dealing with the prostitutes and with the leper colonies and with the wine bibbers and with the tax collectors. All the people that the, that the, that the social stigmas of the day would put them on the side, Jesus said, all right, church, y'all, you know, I'm, I'm not holy enough for you. This is Jesus, son of God. He says, I'm not pure enough for the church. So he walks out of the church and goes right into the gutter. That's meekness. Meekness means that it doesn't matter how high you are financially, how high you are intellectually, how high you are, whatever, you remember where you came from. Are you here? You never forget that if it wasn't for God, you wouldn't be where you're at. That is true meekness. That is true humility. And that humility will make you active to the kingdom. Why? Because you will never see yourself as superior. This resolves racism. This resolves so many things. Because in God's kingdom, he cannot use proudful people. I mean, the body, you know, he's very clear. He resists the proud. He resists the proud. So meekness is this idea of gentleness and self-control. Let me, let me, I already read it. It's up here on the screen now. They are free from malice and a condescending spirit. The meek, like the poor, they don't, they, you know, you're saying, well, I don't have the resources to be meek. No, you don't. That's the blessing. So when you're ready to lose self-control, are you blessed? You see how that's a life issue? Come on, guys. You guys are asleep this morning. Let's just be honest. How many of you lost some form of control this week in any area of your life other than me? Thank you. All the rest of you are so humble. You don't want to raise your hand. I get it. What do you do? Do you give up on Christianity? Do you give up on God? No, you go to God and say, Lord, help. <laughs> help me. Blessed are the meek, Lord. And right now, I am not meek. So give me some. And he gives you the ability to deal with difficult people. He gives you the ability to get past things that you've lost control in your life. Maybe anger issues, maybe addictions, maybe whatever. 
He gives it, but again, everything the Lord does, it is expected for us. In other words, it's in you. So here's a question. If it's in me, Pastor, why am I still dealing with it? Huh? Because until you address it with your own will, he doesn't have a lot of room to help you. That's just a fact. Now, I've said it many times, you know, God will deal with heathens, in other other words, people that don't have God. I know heathens are a hard word. He'll do miracles for people that don't know him in a way that he will not do for people that know him. Because, you know, there's a a place. I've prayed for people that didn't have any context of God, and God did something for them. I mean, it was like, I remember praying for a, uh, I'm not going to say name, local, but anyway, (laughs) there was this guy, and, you know, here in South Texas, that's all I'm going to say. And it's not close. So it's not Hebronville. It's not anything there. And I knew him, and he was a JP. And he was convinced that somebody was doing witchcraft on him, whatever. And, you know, he knew me, and I knew him because he helped me get out of a few tickets. Don't tell anybody. But um, he called me and said, Pastor Box, this, you know, this is going on. And he was dealing with all this stuff. And he called me for a reason. He just called me to vent. <laughs> he called me to pray. He said, okay, let's pray about it. So I, I prayed for him over the phone. And it was really, I don't remember all the details, but he called me back within, Monica probably remembers, within an hour. And he says, Pastor Box, you're not going to believe this. No, I am. I'm a faith guy. I just prayed this, so go for it. And he just goes down the list of how these things were instantly resolved. And I'm thinking, Lord, this guy doesn't even really know you. But you see, God has grace for people all over the world, but for the believers, he has the blessing. You get that? And it's a lot better to live in the blessing than to try to live from miracle to miracle to miracle. I've lived there, man. It's like, ah, oh, help me pay the house payment. Ah! That's tough. And every, you know, every month we'd have a miracle. It'd take a lot of prayer and a lot of crying and whining. But then you learn, hey, I'm blessed. And guess what happened to that payment? It just comes every month. Well, it came, you know, praise God, <laughs> that's a long time ago. But, you know, that's what the blessing is. The blessing is God has placed his, these things, you know, his empowerment on your life. But it's, you know, most people want, oh, I got the blessing. No, it is a seed that unless it's watered and actually applied to in the, what do you mean a seed? Well, you sow, whatever you sow, you sow on purpose, right? If you want beans, you plant beans. If you want oranges, you plant oranges. So the blessing in the area of character development and real life is the same thing. If, if you are, uh, you know, again, I'm going to say you, if somebody is dealing with arrogance or, you know, narcissism or egotistical issues, and, and God is dealing with you for meekness, it's in, the seed is in there. Now you have to develop it. And then come the opportunities, right? That's how you develop it. So God will present, you know, you, God will begin to not, not present. God will begin to point out in your life, you lost control there. You shouldn't have talked like that to the lady at Walmart. You shouldn't have told the person where heaven was when they cut you off. And, 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 and he's not judging you. He's not condemning you. He's just showing you areas of development. So that's, you know, again, why did Jesus put this? Because he says, unless you get this, you know, you pretty much everything I say is not going to make sense. Because I've got to build a character in you that when life comes, you know that there's something in you. And, you know, I'm, the, I'm a prime testimony of this because before I was born again, you know, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, it seems like, I didn't have no control. I was completely out of control. I would start fights. I, you know, I was living a reckless life, a, a dark life. 
so God, over the years, and I said this Sunday, just because you bring Jesus into your life, you don't get instantly everything. The only thing you get is connected to his spirit. You still bring all the luggage. You still bring all the negativity, all that stuff that you had in the earth. You still got that. But then God says, okay, you don't have to live the rest of your life like that. You don't have to live your rest of your life in conflict and strife and bickering and fighting and always, you know, up in a knot. I was doing a study, and this is probably next year. I'm really working on these ideas of, you know, some things God's dealing with. But, you know, as you know, I study a lot of the natural. But I studied this years ago, and I studied again, H, and we talked about this. The amount, there's like new information. I don't want to go down that tangent, but the amount of stuff they're, they're associating with stress now. It's like almost, what is it like? They're almost like every sickness that you deal with. I don't want to say 100. Here's a doctor in front of me. But they're, they're saying, you know, this is because of stress. This is because of stress. People are dying because of stress. This is because of stress. But, you know, just look at it from the scientific perspective. Stress is killing everybody, and God gave us the answer. Hello? Like the old song says, don't worry. <laughs> That's biblical, right? Don't worry, be blessed. Don't worry, be blessed. In other words, yes, pastor, I got all life throwing at me. Yes, but there is a seed in you of the blessing that will help you for the, with the morning. It will help you with meekness. It will help you with all life issues if you recognize it. So this is really a challenge on character development. Because, and I don't want to say everybody, but most of us, I want to say I still have a lot of room for improvement. Even though I say, man, I got a lot of self-control now. My wife and I were talking about it the other day. There's, she said, you know, because, again, this, is not, this was in our house. <laughs> this wasn't. Those, are, those that know us, closely know that this wasn't our house, you know. When you get a house, you know, you know, where everybody wants to be in charge, you've got a problem, right? Everybody wants to be a captain. In our house, there was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of strife, you know, bite, fight. And, you know, that's just the way it was, even as Christians. And we, and we try to fix it, try to navigate it, whatever. But, you know, we look back, and, and looking back maybe four or five years now, I can't even remember the last time I had an <laughs> argument with my wife. I really can't. And we're talking about that. I can't remember the last time I had an argument with my son or my daughter. We used to always be like, hey, everybody. You guys are looking like so judgmental. Now, your house is not like that, right? Oh, pastor, our house is, ah, harmony. Yeah, whatever. I wouldn't be preaching this if your house was harmony, okay? Um, But, you know, we've developed it. And you know what? I didn't have to develop any of them. Guess who I had to develop? This guy. It's, It's weird because it was always like, Lord, change him, change her, change this, change that. And God just heard those pointless prayers because God said, uh-uh. Change will begin, and this is a word for somebody, change will begin in your home when you start to change. Don't worry about them. If they want to be act like animals, that's their problem. You get your heart right. You develop these things. You develop self-control. You develop meekness. Amen? So, again, just simply finish this point. The Bible, the meek are those who have a spirit of gentleness and self-control. And then you go down, and the last line I didn't read says, but the meek do not exploit or oppress others. They are not given to vengeance or vendettas. They are not violent, and they do not try to seize power by their own ends. You're like, well, that's not us. Well, I mean, I could find examples of myself even yesterday in that one, right? Trying to get out of the parking lot, and somebody, you know, just starts blasting their horn because they don't see that we're all trying to get out of the LEC parking lot or whatever it's called now, Sames. And what freaked the person out, I got mad. And I'm thinking, oh, I've got to preach on meekness tomorrow. Well, maybe we'll preach that two Sundays from now, you know. But anyway, you know, I resolved it quickly. And, and, and I'm sitting, it was weird because I had like uh, 
Michelle's swagger on the truck, and I had all the kids in the truck because it was so cold, and we're trying to... And here I am, like, a great opportunity to see what pastor box is going to react, right? So anyway, I'm here, and I'm not in jail, so it worked out. All right, let's give me, give me the next one, RJ. So we go to, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is, you know, this is also, you can really dig in on the word righteousness and really miss the key point. So the word righteousness is an old, old English word that can mean different things. I mean, not different things, but it kind of, so righteousness could be right standing. You're in the right place. Your, your righteousness. Um, you know, they used to use it in, in, in courts and so forth. Spiritually speaking, you could say right standing with God. In other words, you and God, because of the blood of Jesus and the covenant, you're good. <laughs> your sin's not an issue. You're righteousness of God. But here, it's, it's a little different. And this is, what I, you know, this is what I led off last Sunday. I was thinking about last Sunday's message, and I'm like, my church must have thought I was completely ADD because I, I, didn't, I didn't go back and listen to it. Sometimes I go back to listen to all my mistakes. But um, I started on a path, and then I ended up in another path, and I'm like, wow. But, you know, I, I believe the Lord was involved. I'm still believing. But I did start with this. I led off with this. And the idea of here, the idea is actually more of social justice than anything else. Because the righteousness that he, is, that he is referring to is really about, how can I put it? Let me see if there's another. I, know, I deleted a bunch of notes. Okay, here it is. Let me, let me just read my notes. The image in hunger, thirst, compares to drive righteousness, the deepest and most constant needs that we see. You can reference Psalm 42.3. This be added to saying much more, than most people think. It is not simply describing those who are righteous or who try to do good things. It is describing the passion. And that's what makes the difference. The passion in life, because that's, where, that's the idea of hunger and thirst. Because here's, here's why it's not right standing with God. Because right standing with God happens, once again, the moment you give your life to Jesus, you are in right standing with God. Well, what happens if I sin? You're still in right standing with God because you'll have conviction that you did wrong. That's the difference between your old man and your new man. Can can I hear an amen on that one? You know, before, you didn't care. You told somebody off. You partied. You did whatever you want to. Did whatever you want to, and there was was not even a conscience. You know, everybody does it. I'm fine. But then you came to Jesus. And I say, you know, you gave your life to the Lord, but you still have that, that lifestyle I'm speaking about myself, because I gave my life to God, and it took still like nine months till I got it together. Trust me, I, didn't get, you know, I gave my life to Jesus, and it was still nine months till I finally got delivered. But if I hadn't given my life to Jesus, I would have never been delivered. Amen? So I come to God with all my hang-ups, you know, and it takes time, because he's adjusting and adjusting. So I, I mess up. Lord, forgive me. I'm righteous again. And he remembers your sins no more. That's scripture. So he's not referring to right standing with God. That's the only point I'm trying to make. He's, he's referring to a life situation that is an expectation of a believer, which it is righteousness in standing, if I can use it, maybe it's bad English, wrongness. Righteousness. What are we doing in Cuba? In our own version of it, we're doing righteous things there. We might not be able to change the whole nation, and, we're, and I'm praying with all of my Cuban brothers and sisters that we're going to see the end of that. But we bring righteousness. In other words, we bring something that makes those people's life a little bit better. 
In other words, we're affecting society in a positive way. And that's what I said last week. I kind of led, and then I went off in a different direction. When you use the word social justice, you got to be careful. Because in the world, that world, that word means really completely different. I would like to, I, you know, maybe if we, if we use it this way, you would get it. Social righteousness. That sounds a lot better. Because social justice is basically the seeds of socialism. Amen? And don't get me started on that one, because anytime anybody talks about socialism, I said, let's go to Cuba, and you tell me how awesome it is. So when you say social justice, you would refer to some form of socialism. Now, Jesus preached social justice, but he did not preach socialism. Be clear on that. He said, if you have two coats, you give one to your brother, right? Well, that's, that's, you could say that's social righteousness. Well, some people would say, and I've heard people say, well, Jesus was the first socialist. I'm like, no, he wasn't. Because, you know, socialism has one thing. And, and at the end of the day, you're going to see it in whatever country you go to. And, you know, you can still even see it. Not, obviously, they're not socialists anymore, Ukraine. But when we first started going to Ukraine in 2004, you can still see little <laughs> things of what, you know, all those years under communism did to that country. But socialism is, Gilly, if you've got a lot of money, and I don't, you've got to give me some. That's socialism. Not making exception that maybe he worked harder than me. Maybe he spent a lot more effort developing his business, and I'm just sitting at home watching TV, and now I'm going to take his money and give it to me because it's not fair for him to have more money. That's socialism, and it never works. Because even if you go to Cuba, you know, Mr. Castro died a billionaire, go figure, and his people are starving to death. That's socialism. In other words, we're all miserable together. <laughs> if you were rich, I'm going to bring you down, 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 so I can bring this guy back up to the same level. It doesn't matter if you spent more on your education, you work harder than anybody else, we just got to make everybody equal. That is socialism. Jesus wasn't that. Jesus says, I come to a broken world. I come to a broken system that is devastated, and I got a pathway where everybody can prosper. You got it? So Jesus is not about bringing people down to match them to this level. He says, I'm going to bring you up, and I'm going to teach you how to become this person. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear about working and stuff. Amen. So, and again, I want to spend a lot of time, but make because, you know, a lot of, it gets weird, because I, I heard a pastor, a friend of mine, Still respect the guy, you know. He said, if you ever hear the word social justice in a church, run from that church. I'm thinking, well, they just heard it in my church. So everybody's going to run, I guess. And I said, no, I mean, that's not fair. You've got you to gotta expound on it. I'm not for socialism, but I am for social righteousness. In other words, the way I'm wired, it bugs me to see injustice. You know, I go to these nations, and I see what they're dealing with and how hard everything is and how complex everything is, and my heart breaks in, in a good way. Not in a bad way. My heart breaks to say, can I help this out? Can I make a difference? Amen? One of the things I'll, I'll share, when I'm running out of time, but I'll share some of this at the end. You know, one of the things that we're doing, let me share it right now because I'm not going to share it at the end, in Cuba is trying to develop ideas to make people make money in Cuba because there's, there's people that are still making money in Cuba. You know, there's certain businesses. So part of what we're trying to do now in, in our development, with, you know, we're, we're, we're restructuring a lot of the, the Cuba missions you know, and by the way, you, want, you guys want a number? Between Faith Exchange and this church, Dan and I were doing numbers. 
from everything, you know, from the children's ministry, what I do, you know, what, what you know, ladies did, and what Faith Exchange is doing, there was close to $100,000, glory to God, put into Cuba last year. Isn't that amazing? Well, what, what, would that money just go? Did we just give money? No. We're developing a farm. And, you know, a few months ago, there, there wasn't any pigs. Now we have pigs. We're thinking about buying cows. You say, well, that, is that spiritual? Of course it's spiritual, because that's what he meant. He said, blessed are those who hunger. In other words, when you see injustice, it bothers you. When you see somebody that is in a bad place, it bugs you. That is a part of the blessing. That is something, again, I don't expect everyone to have this, but God said, blessed are those who hunger. In other words, you thirsty for it. You're hungry to see people come out of the mess they're in. Can I hear an amen? That's not socialism. I'm not trying to bring somebody down to bring you up. I'm trying to bring everybody up. Amen? And that's what he meant to. So, you know, you, you can, you know the, the, the image of hunger and thirst compares to the drive of righteousness and the deepest, most constant needs that we have. Now, if you want to, I'm, I'm pretty close, so let me go over there. Psalm 42.3. I'll just read this, and then we'll go to the next one. He says, My tears have been my meat day and night while they constantly say to me, where is thy God? And you say, well, how does that apply, Pastor? Because it's, it's exactly, you know, when things bring you to tears, when things bug you enough to say, you know what, I might not be able to change that whole country, but I can change somebody's life. Are you here? You know, the dream of the gospel is, is yes, you know, it would be awesome to have, you know, 400 people show up next week, but it's just one-on-one. And, and when you leave this building, and I, and I hit some of this last week, when we talk about being salt, and we talked about the different kinds of poverty that we deal with, you know, in Cuba, you have this severe poverty. But here in America, you have spiritual poverty. You have emotional poverty. If you don't believe me, why is America the most drug-addicted nation in the world? Because they're emotionally, that's the only way they can cope with it. Amen? So we, we have this poverty, and you, when, when, you know, God will develop, that seed is in you. But you cannot live your life. Let me tell you this right now. You cannot live your life truly as a believer because it's right smack in the middle of the Beatitudes and say, well, you know, that's their problem. That's their problem. I, know, I just, just got to take care of me and my crew, make sure they're taken care of, and you know, whatever happens in Cuba is in Cuba. Whatever happens in the Navajo Nations, whatever, now, that's none of my business. Whatever happens with those, you know, the, the kids or the families that need help in Heavenville, no, 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 just mean that you're going to miss on a blessing. Because everything that the blessing does, remember, it's still seed. So every time you see one of these, every time you go into one of these situations and say, okay, I'm going to become meek, guess what? God's going to empower you. I'm going to be. Well, if you don't have it, don't leave this building. A flesh that feels. Take away, that's in the Old Testament, take away the heart of stone. Plow it up, Lord. Plow up the rocks inside of me that, where I can begin to see people's needs and feel it. Not just see it, feel it. You know, when people want to go to Cuba, they always. I always say, I just want to see how it is. And I always tell people, whenever they say that to me, I said, I would rather you not go see how it is. I would, I would rather you go and listen. Listen how it is. Because see, I want to go see the old cars. If that's your reason to go to Cuba, I'm not going to take you. You can just drive down Heavenville in everybody's backyard. There's one. So just. That's like a Mexican thing. You've got to have an old junker somewhere in the back, you know. If not, you're not Hispanic. But no, you go to listen. Listen. And the thing is, our life becomes so complicated with our mess and our struggles and our situations and our life situations 
And God is saying, the answer to your problems is seed. So when you take the focus off of you and say, yeah, my life is a mess. I have God, but her life is a mess, and she doesn't have God. So I'm going to leave my mess aside for a bit, and I'm going to be hungry and thirsty to bring a little bit of righteousness into this person's life, to bring a little bit of hope into this person. To let her, you know, we're going back to last week, shine a little bit of my light on her. Pour a little bit of my salt on him. That's what he's referring to, that we develop a hunger for the right things. In other words, we develop a hunger to change injustice wherever you find it. You can find it locally. You can find it internationally. You can maybe find it in your home. But whatever it is, blessed are those. What I love about it are those who hunger. Because a lot of people read it and they miss the key point of this scripture. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. And then we spend a whole sermon talking about righteousness. When the key words are hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Stop. Blessed are those who develop a hunger and a thirst. Blessed are those who are hungry for a change. Blessed are those who are thirsty to make a difference. Before it's righteousness, it's hunger and thirst. Are you here this morning? It's hunger and thirst. So we develop, you know, say, Lord, if you you don't have this, just ask God, Lord, maybe I'm too focused, you know, on my life. Yes, my life has all these issues, but you know what? Give me a thirst. Give me a hunger for righteousness. And boy, you're going to start seeing things in your neighborhood, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with people around you like, whoa, because you're going to begin to see all the life situations that you can affect just by saying one word. Amen. That was a grunt. Amen. Come on, church. All right, give me the next one, Archie. We'll do one more. We're almost done. We'll pick it up next week. Okay, dismiss it already. Read that one. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. All right, let's, let's see how far we can get off this one. So one of, the th- one of the things that is common to the poor in spirit, the meek, and those who hunger for righteousness is that their life is not self-sufficient, but looks outward for help. They understand mercy, for they know their own inadequacies, dependence, weakness, and incompleteness. And when they receive gracious and merciful bounty from the king, they in turn know to show mercy to others. And wow, if this is something that is missing in society, right now is this point. I mean, all of them are point, but think about how America is today. I mean, there's a lot of craziness in this nation, but, you know, if we're not careful, we, we become numb. So, so thirst and hunger for righteousness is very similar to this one. And I really believe that you don't get this one unless you develop the previous one. In other words, when you are developing a, a hunger and a thirst for right things, when things are wrong, you want to then the next thing that's going to grow is mercy. And mercy is an old English word for love. But it's not just love, like I love my dog, it's a giving love. Mercy. I have mercy for somebody doesn't mean, oh, I just love you, man. No, I have mercy, and then I see a situation in your life that I can affect. In other words, mercy is I love you enough to make a difference in your life. Amen? Think about what a family unit would look like. Think about what a marriage would look like if this was one of the main points of that relationship. Think about the relationship between you and your kids if this had been developed. Think about your relationship with anything. Mercy is that one thing that you cannot outgive ever because what you're doing is you're not saying, well, I just got to love everybody. No, you are taking the love of God. That's why you can love unlovely people. Are you here? Have you ever noticed 
let me, let me, let me show you where mercy comes in. It'll, it'll show it maybe on the next slide. But this is the blessed, if I can say it, the beatitude or the blessedness of being able to forgive somebody. If you're dealing with unforgiveness, this is your answer. I can't, you know, I can't, I can't release people. Showing mercy to others include both forgiveness and the sinner, of the sinner and compassion for the suffering and the needy. So it's, you know, it's connected back to, to righteousness. So once again, are there people in your life you can't forgive? Well, you don't understand what they did to me. Well, I don't. They didn't do it to me. <laughs> I don't. But I know one thing. You cannot harbor that unforgiveness because it's going to be complete toxic toxicity to your, to your spiritual life. And if you don't deal with unforgiveness, I know something else is going to happen. It's going to develop a root of bitterness, and that root of bitterness is going to become a tree of bitterness. And you know, you've seen them. There's Christians that have been in, in, you know, love. You know they love God. I mean, I, I know people even close to us that, you know, they love God. They've dedicated life to God. No issues about their salvation. But when you deal with them, they're just sour. You know anybody like that? I'm talking about believers now. I'm not talking about, you know, the world's a world. You're like, dude, <laughs> you're born again. You got the Holy Ghost, and you're always mad and always angry and always negative and, you know, always criticizing everything, always being negative about everything. That is a lack of mercy. Because the way you connect to this is, how, why, you know, Pastor, how can I show mercy to others? Oh, this is so easy, because Jesus showed mercy to you. Boom. No, I mean, there's no, you know, you had no right to this. And Jesus said, Grace, I forgive you of everything you've ever done, and I will remember your sins no more. Guess what he expects for you to do? Exactly the same thing. If, you know, if Jesus did it, he has given you the capacity to do it. And I'm telling you, there's no greater freedom in my life that when I learned, and this was many years ago, that I could let people go. Because I was wired. You know, you've heard the stories of me and my mom, or my mom and I speak proper English. And I was like her, you know, something happened, we just get mad, and we're mad. You know, we're mad for like a week. Anybody here like that? Nobody honest? Thank you, Selma. We connect then. Everybody else is like, I'm not going to raise my hand. No, because my dad was like, explosion. My sister the same way, explosion. I mean, they would fight because she was older than me. Like, almost, you know, to a point like, whoa. And like three minutes later, they're like, ah. And I'm like, dude. No, that's three weeks for me. I'm sorry. It'll take at least three weeks to get that out of my system. Well, that's not the right way to do it. So God showed you mercy, and he didn't, he didn't ask you anything about your past life. He just said, hey, you want it? You said, yes, Jesus. He said, mercy. Next time somebody hurts you, next time somebody offends you, next time something doesn't go your way, just say, Lord, I have the seed of mercy. And you watch how good your life is going to become. Because guess what? You don't take that home. Because what happens with, and especially with that point, I know it actually deals with compassion. We've talked a lot about that in the last two points. So, yeah, it's, of course it's compassion. You know, if it's like, so I've heard people say, what are you doing in Cuba? I don't know. I Just mercy, I guess. You know, there's just a drive in me that we're supposed to be there. But, you know, you say mercy. Somebody hurts your feelings, just say, Lord, I have mercy for this person. That doesn't mean you have to have lunch with them. That doesn't mean they have to be your besties. That just means you're not going home with this. Because what happens, tell me if if it doesn't happen. Somebody hurts your feelings at work or somebody does something, and you come home with it, and your family is perfectly fine. They're just having a good time. But you've got all this in there. But you didn't let it go when you were supposed to, so it became a root now. It was a seed, and mercy should have killed that seed. Right? When somebody offends you, the quickest thing you can do is say, I'm not taking it. 
I'm not taking an offense. God bless you and mean it. <laughs> don't say God bless you like you don't mean it. God bless you. That's your opinion. Whatever. I'm not doing that. But now you took it home. Now it's a root. And I says, how was your day? And everybody's like, school was awesome. And I got 100 on my test. And I got a raise in my job. And then it comes to you like, I hate my life and I hate every one of you. You know? And I mean, I'm, I know I'm being crazy with that, but that's how it's going to end up. You know what I'm talking about? Perfectly good day. All it takes is one person to be bitter. And it turns out bitterness goes right around that thing. And a perfectly good day for the rest of your family just became a miserable day for everybody. So if you don't think these things are serious, that's why Jesus said, blessed are those, blessed are the merciful. So I'm asking you, practice mercy this week. Amen? Are you getting something out of it this week? Come on, church. All right, let me look at my clock because it's almost done. All right, let's see if we can. The closer, well, I'm sorry, that's another one. Showing mercy to others includes both forgiveness of the sinner and compassion for the suffering of the needy. I already said, okay, can we do another one? Maybe. Nah, you guys are not excited. Maybe we shouldn't. There's no way I'm going to finish this, so we're going to stop there right now. <laughs> Go ahead and stand at your feet. We'll pick it up next week. Yeah. Go ahead and say, let's pray right there. That, that, he didn't finish. No, I didn't. And you're glad I didn't because I let you out like by three. So <laughs> somebody say, yeah, he will. What I want you to do this morning, I want you to think about what we talked about. I want you to take it. I just had a cute, cute little sermon. I went to church, got my little star on my forehead. Everything's good. No, think about maybe one point, maybe... Maybe God's dealing in your life. Because I'm looking at this congregation, everyone in this building, I'm almost 100% comfortable. You're born-again believer. You love Jesus. Even if I don't know you, I see how you're interacting, and I know you have a relationship with God. Obviously, we have church online. We have a lot of people online that possibly somebody that doesn't know Jesus. So I'm going to lead in a prayer. I always do that. But for those of you that are born again, the prayer shouldn't be Jesus coming to my heart. I mean, you can repeat it with me, and it's a wonderful prayer. Nothing wrong with that. Your prayer should be said, Lord, show me. Show me the areas where I've, I'm already equipped by the blessing. That's, what, that's your prayer. I'm already equipped by the blessing. Now I just need to practice it. It can be in your marriage. It can be, I mean, the things we talked this morning, it could be a broad area where you could apply this. Let's pray. First prayer. If you're watching me online or if you're here in the building and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, it is a very simple prayer. It's just a prayer that goes like this. Say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus... I stand before you as a sinner that needs God. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, even those I can't remember. That today I recognize that I need a Savior, and that's you, Jesus. So I invite you into my heart and into my life. Amen. See, if you prayed that prayer, your name got written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You might have not felt anything different, but trust me, there's something happened in your spirit. You've connected back to God. You're connected back to the, the source of life. Now, what happens after that? Well, you just begin to learn and practice and apply like we've been doing. Now, this prayer is for us that are believers. And I, this is where I want you to know, like I said, to me it's very important that you take something home. You know, when I preach, don't think I'm preaching at you. I preach with you. In other words, I see things as I'm preaching. I'm like, okay, you need to fix that one. You need to fix that one. Okay, I need to fix that one. So I'm, I'm in this with all of you, you know. I even saw it yesterday. You know, there's still areas where I need more self-control. So let's pray. Let's just be honest with God this morning. Father, I can't pray. I'm going to pray for them, but their prayer, Father, is personal. But our prayer as a, as a church, and I think, Father, for as a whole, this church has done a good job. This church is known for mercy. This church is known for giving. This church is known for compassion. This church is known for 
for going to places where people would not go. And I thank you for the character that you've built in our church, Father. But I take this now on a personal level, Father. Every one of us, we need, we thank you, Lord, that when we said, Jesus, come into my life, you put this blessing in us. And, Father, we realize as, as we're lifing, as we're going through life and trying to navigate through, through the different circumstances and conditions and questions that life throws at us, that we are blessed. That you set this up, Father, saying that we had the ability and the capacity from God by your Spirit to deal with anything that life throws at us, to deal with any discouragement, to deal with any disappointment, to deal with people that have died that weren't supposed to or that we didn't understand why they went. You said it. Blessed are those who mourn. Father, I pray for anyone in this that's listening to me right now live, that's on Facebook, or that will listen to this in a podcast. If this is you right now, receive it. If you're still dealing with mourning, if you're still dealing with, let me say it this way, if you're dealing with grief, I bind that spirit of grief right now in the name of Jesus. And I speak that the life of Jesus over you and that God will grant you the blessing of the mourner, not, the, not, not a grieving spirit, but somebody that knows that it's okay to be sad, but this is not the end. It's okay to miss someone because we're going to see them in our future. And I thank you, Lord, for those things. I thank you, Lord, that nothing is final with you. Even if we lost a job or we lost a situation or a relationship, Father, you got one better lined up. And I just thank you, Lord, that we are a blessed people. Father, we pray the blessing of compassion to grow on this church, to grow into our communities. Lord, we do a great job, Father, in Cuba and other nations, but we need to bring that compassion to Heavenville, to Bruni, to Miranda City, to the area that you've called us to minister to, Lord, that we all move with compassion, that we all look for these broken people that are out there, Lord, that we work with them, they're our friends, they're our neighbors. Some of them are our family members, Father, and we just need some mercy. We need to have some compassion and reach into their lives, Father, and, and, and at least present them, Lord, with the opportunity to meet you, Lord Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, this morning. I thank you for a church that gets it. And I pray right now for anyone that's in this building, especially this building, whatever you're dealing with, you know, maybe you're quiet about it, you know, but the Holy Spirit knows. And I'm just going to pray for you right now. I've got my eyes closed. I'm not looking around. But if anybody in this building just dealing with complicated situations, this is for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I don't know any details about what they're dealing with, but I know that we are blessed. And that blessing is on them. And whatever they need to navigate through this week, with every circumstance and every situation that's been lined up against them. Father, you have anointed them, and this becomes as real as it gets. Father, we're not here just to meet on Sunday morning and play church. Dear God, we are here to live this thing out and to be salt and to be light. And I speak life over every situation, and I believe that this Thanksgiving week, Father, will be a week of miracles and signs and changes that will be tangible, Father, in their lives. I call them blessed in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap this morning? God, amen. I think you may be seated for, mo- for a moment. I think it's the weather. You guys are extra quiet this morning. You know? it, is, it, is, it is Tony. I think they're just cold. You know? <laughs> Money goes like, I'm cold. <laughs> anyway, so let me tell you just briefly the two, two couple things that are going on in Cuba. And again, there's... One of the things that, that we're, and we're actually in the process, Dan and I, Pastor Dan, of developing, like, a little more, if I can call it, mission statement for what we do as a team. Now, I have our mission statement, they have their mission statement, but what we're doing in Cuba, um, 
So we're working on that. But one of the things that's out there is this development of helping people in that place make money. And it's really interesting. There's a, there's a gentleman, and I was going to get the pictures, but I'll, I'll show them later. Uh, and he's part of Yoel's team. His name's Carlos. And when I met Carlos, gosh, uh, six years ago, they lived in really, like, pretty extreme poverty. I mean, they lived, they, they, were, they were helping Pastor Yoel, but they lived in this horrible little thing on the farm anyway. Well, he, the first thing we did for Carlos, we got him. If you, don't, if you don't think God can bless people in the darkest places, this is a cool story. So Carlos, he has a beautiful young lady. Uh, she's 18 now. Um, you know who I'm talking about. You know. um, they're just amazing, his wife. They're, they're just a beautiful family. Well, when I met them, they didn't have even transportation. So we, back in the day, you know, five, six years ago, we raised money, and we got him a carriage and a horse. How's that for your transportation? Is that cool? All of, all of $300. It's a one-horsepower engine. No pun intended, you know. Pretty slow. So now he's got a vehicle. He's got his horse, man. And, and we actually rode on that horse um, and that carriage. They took us from the farm back to the hotel on the carriage, which was fun. Well, because of the blessing does what it does, I went to see, you know, Carlos, when I went right now, he's driving a moped. He's got more than one horsepower now. Might not have a lot more, but, and it's hilarious because it's like it's a moped and, you know, him and his wife and they wear the little helmet. But now they got wheels. You ready for this one? He's got his own business now. And he's got a, they sell these sandwiches at the gas station. It sometimes has gas, sometimes doesn't. And he, you ready for this one, H? Is now hiring people. And he's paying them way above what they could ever make with the Cuban government. Because, you know, a doctor in Cuba will make $30 a month. A month. Medical doctor. You see surgeons waiting for buses. That's how it is in Cuba. So he's, he's hiring people from the church, and, they, and, I, and he wasn't even there, so you know, I don't know where he was, but his wife was there and one of his employees was there. So I've watched this guy in a nation that is cursed. I've seen the blessing take him. And it's, I, I shared with this with Dan. It's, it's hilarious because we're, you know, we're creating the whole system in Cuba. <laughs> hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but oh well runs off capitalism, but it's called the black market. The whole thing. Everybody's wheeling and dealing. Everybody's wheeling and dealing everything. So capitalism is alive and well, Diana, but it's just all black market, right? So we see Carlos prospering, of course, the farm and Yoel, and we got a new family at the farm. We got the house finished. It's, you know, the, the farm is growing. So that is a, a, a really cool testimony of what we do, you know, and, and we're going to continue to support him. So we've sown into people, and here's one of my principal philosophies of missions. I've done, I did missions before I did pastoring. I was doing missions before I ever decided to have a church. Is my job is not to teach, not to give people fish. My job in the mission field is to teach people how to fish. Because when I go, I can give you a lot of fish, but then you're not going to get any fish till I come back. I'm using fish as an analogy. Don't think we take fish. But if you teach somebody how to fish... So what these people are doing, they're taking the principles of seed time and harvest that you know. They're, they're becoming givers in their church. And guess what? It's working in a communist nation. And it's amazing to see. Well, there's another young man. This is where I'm going with this. I'm, I'm leading up to something, not to, you know, if you want to give to it, fine. If you want to give today or later. There's, a, there's another young man that the Lord really impressed on my heart. He's very talented. I'll show you some of his work. He's a video, video and photographer. 
And he just came out from a really rough life and drugs and everything and, you know, got saved at the church. His name's Ariel. And he's a very gifted young man. And the Lord just pressed on my heart, well, we're, there's a project with him now because, you know, of what his talent is, and he's working for a big company now. So he needs a computer. So we're working on getting – the computer's actually in Cuba. We just need the money. So he needs us, you know, real – you know, for, to do his work, and it's like 800 bucks. So I'm believing God to create that, to sow into his life. And we do everything through the church. Don't think we just give money to people. So, so I will send the money to Yoel, and Yoel will minister to him, and that way he at least gets to watch – him. You know, you can't do that in the mission field. You can't just go and throw money out. You got to have order. So we got Ariel. That's one project. And I'm going to see, and I'm going to invest in him, and I'm going to believe in him, and I'm going to watch him prosper. We have other projects. We have big projects. There's another project of getting a, a van down there. It's, it's crazy expensive, but, you know, God knows everything we've done down there, we've done it without any money. You know, we have a farm without any money, so <laughs> somehow God came up with $40,000 back then. So this will create money for Yoel and his family, because one of the biggest things that you can make money in Cuba, as most of you that have gone to Cuba know, is the van. You know, we pay a lot of money to go get picked up at the airport and have the van, so we're believing. So that's another project. But, and then the other one I want to, that's a big one, but the ones that, that, are, that are right now, you know, sowing into to this young man's life. But the other one is, we, uh, we well, Yoel, we say we because it's us, we, him. He was able to, to get all the material. Because what happens in Cuba, you don't go to the Home Depot. I mean, there's no such thing. And it's really hard just to get cement. I've seen it where, they, where, where you got to go buy cement, and they're literally weighing it by shovels. <laughs> you get a bag of cement. It's not like it's already packed. They'll have like a pile of cement, and they'll say how many. I went with Yoel years ago, and you know, they were shoveling cement. It's really hard to get metal. It's really hard to get. So an opportunity came by about three months ago, well, two months ago, that they were that this material that we need to put the roof. I don't know if you have that picture there, RJ, of last week. There's one where the, the roof of the church is, so people that know what I'm talking about. Because this is something we, I want you to think about. You know, you guys have been so awesome, you know, what we're doing. But um, it should be on the bottom. It's, it's like a framework. If you find it, fine. If not, that's fine. But now, so anyway, um, no, it's the one on the farm. It's just like, yeah, that's what, there you go. Stop right there. So that's what we're building on the farm now, and there's going to be a, um, you see those trees way in the background? That's a part of the property. It's, 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 a, it's a really nice property. And down on this part, it's got like a natural spring. It's amazing. Anyway, that's going to be a church. That church is open. That's how they build them. It's not going to have walls. It's going to have front wall and, of course, the back. So the roof part, we already have all the material, and it was 1900 bucks to finish the roof. And you had got it, but he got it on a loan. Which was, which was, he told me when it was going to happen. And I said, just go ahead because what happened is the material was there. And if you don't get it, somebody else is going to get it. And you might not get it for another six months. That's, just, that's the way it's in Cuba. So when we talked about it, I said, look, if you can figure it out.